Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. You got stuck with me this week. I loved it. I love you. I love being stuck with you. I love Christy too, but it was really, really exciting to do this podcast with you, Catherine. I know. Well, first of all, uh, how have you been? Because I was, I Christy got to hang out with you last week and I was kind of sad because I got on to start it and then I was like, oh, I have to leave. Um, I've been great. It was really nice to chat with Christy. She's one of my favorite people. Um, in in the cycling world, she's absolutely amazing and so inspiring. And um, it's always good to ha- get some laughs in with you. You just like, I mean, last week we were talking about joy and, and you know, like you just exude this. I don't know. I see your face and I just want to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean that in the sweetest way, but yeah. So yeah, nothing different. I, I mean, I had my first race on Sunday, Old Man Winter here. It's a local race and you had it or you have it? It's it, I had it. And had it. um yes, yes. And how was it? It was great. I'm excited to get back on the bike and I'm excited to go out there and be a part of the gravel community. And what where have you been? <laughs> That's the question. Uh well, Sunday was my birthday. <gasps> Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I missed it. I'm sad. sad. <laughs> it's okay. It's not an exciting birthday, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was relaxing and chilling all weekends. So I didn't do much. My, I was going to hang out with my, uh, I went to run and I went to brunch with some friends and I was going to hang out with my sister-in-law and my niece and my niece came down with a stomach flu. And I was like, mm. keep that to yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, um, I was thinking of you though, like, I was like, oh, is Brooke going to be out here in the Pacific Northwest? Are you coming out here this summer? No. Oh. Okay. So my niece got her first bike. So she's seven and she upgraded to a bike with gears. She has three gears, three little, gears, three gears, which oh. there's a funny story because she wanted this one bike that was pink and purple, like in this, the bike brands line. And yes. it was the only bike that did not come with gears and they're in that same brand's line. I'm like, the girl bike is the one that didn't come with gears oh. anyway. But anyway, so she got a first little bike with gears and we were out um, while I was walking and she was riding and she's never ridden mountain bikes. Like she's only ridden, the, but she was naturally getting into that mountain bike position, like hovering <laughs> over the saddle, shifting her weight back. And I was like, oh, I think she's a prodigy. <laughs> Maybe seven years old. I know. And so most of the clinics and all the stuff, like they start at eight. So I'm like, I need a little mountain bike teacher for Lydia. Little Bella's little Bella starts. I don't think they have it here. And I think they start at eight, eight or nine. Okay. All right. Well, it's like, she's a year too young, but she's, I'm like, she's already got that natural skill, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need more um, women mountain bikers. So you just keep encouraging that. I know. Joy. Don't let her turn away. Don't let these bros turn her away from it. I know. She loves Kate Courtney. So she watches Kate Courtney reels. 
all the time. Oh, okay. All right. Yay. <laughs> anyway, so if you come out here ever, you could teach Lydia to mountain bike. Although you did try to tell me you were going to teach me to mountain bike too. Yes. That's something. <laughs> we will do it. We, we, we will be in Bentonville together at the festival and um, hopefully we can get on a mountain bike. Yeah. Maybe the day <laughs> after the festival. Maybe. <laughs> um, okay. We chat with one of your friends and I loved her. Annika. Yeah. Annika Wade. Annika Wade. Annika Wade. She is, um, you know, she's a mountain biker. She's a mountain biker. She's getting she's into some gravel. Biker. I don't know if we're allowed to have mountain bikers on this show, but. Well, we had you on, didn't we? <laughs> she has been in gravel. She has. Um, and this year she is racing gravel. She's going to be racing SBT. And um, so. And is this the first year the SBT will have adaptive cyclists or have they always had adaptive cyclists? No. Uh... I don't remember. Feel like I've seen adaptive cyclists there. It's well, big reveal. Attica is an adaptive cyclist, and it's not been that long. It's just been a couple of years, right? Um, 2021? Yes. Yes. Um, this is our first season back racing. So it's it's great conversation. I, I loved every bit of it. Yeah. Her story of resilience is really freaking unbelievable but but yeah it I know I've had several conversations with Meg Fisher and just and we we even talked I wish we just had a little bit more of the conversation online we talked a lot like once we finished recording but about the challenges not only the athletes face but also the race directors face and the way we're gonna have to start thinking through things differently with the courses and the way this, that they can change and you know all those but um yeah I think like one, you're going to love her story. And two, if you see an adaptive athlete on the course, she also gives some great ways to like come alongside and be an ally and support them um, on the course. So I think everybody's going to really enjoy this one. I, um, one of the parts of this podcast that I enjoy the most, there's always like something from each of these podcasts that really resonates with me and, and, um, leaves me really excited and turned on about cycling. And that is this idea of cycling. Someone, I can explain it like this. Someone was like, well, have you been exercising, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I haven't really been exercising. I've just been riding my bike. <laughs> like, well, riding your bike is exercise. And I, I've never really thought about riding bike as exercise. I've thought about the bike as everything except for exercise. It's a fun thing I do with my friends. It's um, a way that I challenge my body, all of these things. And, and I keep finding cyclists who inspire me in a way, in a different way to see cycling. And I think it's really interesting and really unique that I've never, ever thought of it as exercise. I've never, I've never thought, oh, I ride my bike to exercise. I, I, I've always written it for so many other things. And, and um, Annika presents to us a different way to see cycling. Yeah. 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 I love that. I think that's, that's how you find the most joy on the bike when you just do all those other things. And it's definitely a joyful conversation. So thank you for introducing us to her and we will get onto this podcast with Annika Wade. Annika, we are so excited that you're here and I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast and uplifting voices like yours and letting everybody hear your story. I've heard your story um, several times throughout the year and it's always very, very powerful and especially as a cyclist. And so I want to start at the way, way beginning though. Like I was telling Catherine about how you were one of the very few black female mountain bikers out there. Um, and just tell me about that journey. That's one that I don't actually get to hear very often. How did you get started? What, what, is, what was it like cycling out there as a black woman? Yeah, thanks, Brooke. Um, excited to be here. Uh, yeah, it's funny, actually, Brooke, you and I kind of came up together in mountain biking. I remember meeting you at 
um, the Sedona Mountain Biking Festival with Vita Mountain Bike Series. And that was the first time I had ever seen a Black mountain biker in real life. Um, so I had followed other black mountain bikers online, like Brooklyn Bell and Rachel Olzer and, and Aisha McGowan, but it was the first time I had seen somebody like me out doing the same things that I was doing and in that space. So it was, it was really powerful to me. Um, so I've been like recreating in the outdoors for a very, very long time, Um, It was probably around like 16 or 17. I started hiking on my own, Um, got really obsessed with just being outdoors and the outdoor culture. I went to um, college in Portland, Oregon, so that I could pursue a degree in environmental studies, but also have access to the outdoors. Um, I started cycling uh, back then kind of for fun. It was mostly just like riding around exploring Portland, going on these like 20, 30 mile bike rides through all of the different, you know, neighborhoods across bridges. Um, and then I put a bike down for a little bit, um, you know, started driving and, and got, you know, kind of ingrained in like my professional career. Um, and then it wasn't until I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so for a little bit of context, I work in tech, Tech is pretty demanding. There's oftentimes not a lot of work-life balance. And so when I have the opportunity to take a job in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and still work in my industry of tech, I was like, absolutely. Like, I'll have great access to trails. I'll probably have time to start some new hobbies. And then, you know, really like refine that work-life balance. So I moved to Santa Fe. It took me about six months to get acclimated to the elevation. It's like 7,200 feet of elevation there. So it took me about six months to get acclimated. And then once I was acclimated, I was like, all right, how am I going to explore this beautiful place? I, you know, as I said, I've been hiking for a lot of my life and I decided I wanted a little bit faster pace activity. And so one day somebody sent an email to the entire company I was working at and said, Hey, we're starting a mountain biking club. Um, if anybody wants to join, this is going to be our first ride. And it had, you know, the name of a trailhead and a date and a time. And I sat there for a few minutes and I was like, Oh, you know what? Mountain biking. I hadn't even thought of that. I was like, I could absolutely do that. Right. I of course (laughs) had no experience mountain biking and really no introduction to it. And so I just did a quick Google search and I was like, yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. So I went online and bought a hardtail and, you know, I don't remember if I paid for it to be rush delivered, but I was like, I got to get ready for this like group ride. So, you know, in addition to like buying the bike, I, you know, figured out what helmet I was going to get, what type of gear I needed. Like I knew I needed a new hydration pack and, you know, like a little, uh, packable, uh, air pump or, you know, tire pump and stuff. So I got all of the necessary like intro equipment. My bike arrived. I put my bike together myself. And then at that point I was like, okay, I guess I have to go on a couple of rides before I meet up with these people. It's like mountain bike ride. And so fortunately for me, the local, um, there's a local trail network about seven minutes driving to my house or from my house. So it was perfect. So hopped in my car, put my, you know, bike on the back of my car and went to the trailhead. And I think my first ride was like three or four miles. It was so hard. (laughs) I just remember like the first little bit of uphill, like just kind of getting to like the main part of the trails was like challenging. I was like, Woo. All right, here we go. (laughs) Um, and at that point I was like, this is, this is actually a lot of fun. It was, it was really cool. I hadn't had a lot of time to like go even out to that trail network So it was like, this is going to be a great opportunity for me to be able to be acquainted with Santa Fe and start a new sport. And so I just went on a few more practice rides. And then the day of the group ride happened. And of course, I was like, extremely anxious and nervous to meet up with these people. I mean, most of these people are like, I mean, I, I recreate in the outdoors, but like, I just looked at them and I was like, wow, they're like, they're really serious about like outdoor stuff. Like they had all of the, like the fancy gear and we're always talking about for this and that country adventures. So I definitely got really nervous before um, the group ride. And I think I showed up at the wrong trailhead and totally missed the ride, which was fine retrospectively. 
And actually, I never ended up riding with any of those people (laughs) ever, which is totally fine, too. But at that point, I was hooked. I was like, this is definitely the sport for me. It was fun. It was challenging. I immediately went online and like looked up all of these different, you know, things about mountain biking, started watching YouTube videos, you know, found Brooklyn Bell and Naisha McGowan. And I was like, all right, cool. Like there's a couple people that kind of look like me. Um, so yeah, that's how I got like, you know, officially started mountain biking. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I have heard that story. I'm not sure <laughs> on what <laughs> podcast I know you've been on quite a few, but yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Well, I'm so impressed that you figured out how to do all the things. Like, I still don't know how to build my bike sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, how do <laughs> I forget it? Or like to get the bike pump and figure out the helmet and like <laughs> to get your bike on the back of a car. Like, that's all those things are like major steps the first time you do it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I I had cycled before, like in college, I like biking was my primary means of transportation. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and I've had a bike like throughout my life. So I kind of knew like the ins and outs and like, I would always have like bike tools, you know, just kind of lying around. So I think that definitely helped, you know, I was like familiar to a certain degree, but of course there's like a lot of things I didn't know. Like, you know, that plastic disc that arrives on like bikes, that's like on your back wheel and stuff. I didn't know that like you take those off. I had never really seen one. So I think I was rolling around with mine for like probably a couple months. And somebody was like, wow, you still have your dork disc on your bike. And I was like, what? (laughs) They're like that plastic thing. You could take it off. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know. I didn't know if this was like mountain bike specific or, (laughs) or what it is. So you're like, it's keeping my chain on. So (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. No, no. Been there, done that totally have um, lost some cool points. And I I love it that like I started off worrying about cool points, collecting them and getting them subtracted. And now I just don't give a damn. (laughs) Like I've I've, like risen above it. So, but I know in the very beginning it is like, you want to do all the things right. Um, So you got there, you, you got to mountain biking, you were showing up at, um, I was telling Catherine, you're showing up to the mountain biking races, you were seeing your face posted, uh, you uh, got some deals and some sponsors with folks, they were really, and then, yeah, tell us, tell us about that journey. Um, and I, and I really want to be able for folks to see the journey that you're on now, uh, which looks a little bit different. So just tell us about that, the journey um, of like mountain biking, really getting into it and 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 being quite a good mountain biker. Thanks. Yeah. So I think for me, the really like turning point was I went to my first Vita mountain bike series clinic um, and that was in Durango, Colorado. And I had been mountain biking for a few months and I realized really quickly that I wanted to improve and I wanted to grow my skills, but I didn't know how. I was primarily riding by myself, so I didn't have a lot of people to look towards, you know, in real life on the trails for like how to handle specific situations. Um, I knew I wanted to do more. So I went to the clinic, you know, showed up by myself in Durango, Colorado, which is you know, quite a trek for Santa Fe. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take as much as I can from this. And it was at that clinic, I realized that I was going to get even more hooked on mountain biking. Like I really wanted to focus on, on downhill, right? Like I did my first real technical downhill trails, um, there. And I was like, this is just, this is my style of riding. Right. Um, so I got definitely hooked. I mean, I will say I did do, um, a downhill, uh, resort before that park city, Utah, which also got me really hooked, but I was realizing I wasn't very good at like cornering and like specific aspects that would like really take me far. So that was kind of like my impetus for going um, to the Vita mountain bike series. Uh, after that, I decided that I wanted to train more specifically and that I wanted to set my sights on maybe a couple mountain bike races downhill or, you know, other types of discipline downhill really was like 
to me more of my style of writing. Um, and so at that point, I started to get more involved with Vita Mountain Bike Series. That's where I met you, Brooke, when we were both ambassadors our first year, which was really exciting to me. I when I applied for that ambassadorship, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this. Like, I just started mountain biking. I'm like, I don't know any of these people in Colorado. I don't even live in Colorado. Um, and so when I got the email that, you know, I was going to join them, you know, join the group as an ambassador, I was like, oh, this is really, really cool. It felt kind of felt like a little like superstar at that point. I was like, all right, I'm part of Vita. <laughs> like, I'm almost a pro writer, right? Like, not quite, but um, it felt I was like going somewhere with kind of like my mountain biking. Um, and then through Vita, I kind of developed the idea that I wanted to work more closely with growing other people's skills, right? Like just thinking about my beginner journey and how I didn't have a lot of people to ride with and how I didn't really know how to grow my skills. I just really wanted to be a part of other people's journeys as beginners. And so I started getting more involved with like, you know, assistant coaching through Vita and then also through the Vita network, um, they offered kind of like a race development program. And uh, that was called Rider to Racer. And I was like, oh, well, that could be really fun. And it was for an enduro race. And for those that aren't familiar with enduro racing, uh, essentially, it's like a, a, a stage race. Um, you're only timed on your downhill sections. So you do have to climb to, to get to those stages, but they don't necessarily count for your for um you know, for like the race time. So rider to racer had, um, an enduro kind of race development program, which gave you access to, you know, Jen Cates, um, and, you know, an amazing trainer and Galleon, a professional rider. And then, um, Britt Greer, who we both know who was kind of helping us out and Laura Danley. And so I was getting access to these like amazing women mountain bikers that have all had, um, really great success in racing and just growing their skills technically. And so at that point I started training for my first actual mountain bike race, which ended up being, um, a two day backcountry enduro in Steamboat Springs, which, you know, for anybody that's interested in getting into enduro racing and racing, I would say, try to choose a smaller race, maybe one day format. Uh, maybe don't go for like a big backcountry race, although you can. But for me, I was definitely as prepared as I was probably ever going to be. But once I got there, I realized like it was a lot more challenging than I had maybe made it up in my mind. Um, we had to race a double black diamond, which was fun. Um, it was actually the first double black diamond I had ever ridden. And I rode it maybe like I don't know, three weeks before the race to kind of like figure out my lines. So that was cool. I was like, oh gosh, I have to race this double black, you know, backcountry trail and steamboat. Um, so that was kind of like how I got into racing. And then in addition to like, you know, setting my sight on like becoming a coach, which I eventually did. Um, and then, you know, working with Vita, um, Brooke, you and I also worked a lot with, you know, advocacy with, with Vita for, you know, BIPOC individuals and also just trying to create and maintain safe spaces within the mountain bike community. And so I just got really enmeshed in um, working in this space, enjoying this space, pushing myself in this space and overall having a lot of fun. I think um, I have to let the audience know and let Catherine know that, you know, most of the, the people listening um, mostly women, but some men too, I hear, um, that that they are all in gravel. They're all in the business of gravel. So I want them to know that the story does connect to gravel. <laughs> it's, we have connections, we connect, but I, I do yeah. have a question because, mm -hmm. well, mountain biking always confuses me because there's so many names for things. So when you say enduro, I'm like, I feel like you're going down ski slopes. Is that what that means? Um, you can be, um, so really, yeah, the, the main format or like main distinguishing part of Endura racing is that, yeah, there's different stages within a race and that you're only getting timed on the downhill sections. Okay. I would be terrible at that. I go downhill as slow as possible on my mountain bike uphill. I'm great <laughs> downhill. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just, there's a few different, like, dis, you know, disciplines of mountain bike racing. So there's cross country and then there's downhill racing, which kind of varies from enduro in like the actual race format. So like for downhill races, you typically are riding like at a resort 
one specific downhill track and like maybe you're only racing it once right and like that's your time and there probably aren't other stages or other um you know maybe tracks but maybe there are a couple so yeah and I kind of fell into enduro mostly because when I started racing it was during the beginning of the pandemic And so there wasn't really the opportunity to do downhill racing because resorts were not into the idea of hosting a bunch of people, you know, for a race. So that's kind of how I fell into enduro. I have a lot of people ask me, they're like, do you, do you like enduro? Would you suggest enduro? And I think it's like kind of mixed, right? Like I love the technical downhill aspect of it or like racing downhill, but I do not like climbing uphill. I have asthma. And so (laughs) climbing can be really challenging for me. And it's also something I get really like self-conscious about too. And so that's something I had to like progress to like work over is like the big mental challenge of like knowing I'd have to climb, you know, 3000 feet in a day to race a particular race. And so there's a lot of like on the bike training that needs to happen to kind of get you to that point. Cause in a lot of ways, it's like, yeah, everybody can do the downhill portions. Right. But like, can you do it after you've climbed that much? Right. Like, is your body still going to hold up? Is your mind still going to be intact? So it's, yeah. Well, it's and like you have to hover so much. Right. And I, I realized mm-hmm. that I did a mountain bike clinic, like a beginner clinic and I had done like heavy squatting or something the day before. And I was like, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Cause like trying to hold myself hovering, I was so, my legs were so fatigued. And I realized how much you do balance and core and legs. I didn't even know you were into mountain biking, Catherine. Have you told me this before? Probably not. I'm really bad at it. In Bentonville, we're going to, I don't know if you can bring your gravel bike and your mountain bike, but. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm not bringing any bikes to Bentonville. Okay. Yeah. And you're probably not riding one either. I was, that was just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to borrow, BMC's bringing me a bike. So I'll see if they can bring a mountain bike too. Okay. All right. Um, no downhill is, it is interesting. Like I, I've spent a lot of time at like angel fire mountain bike resort or like different, uh, bike parks and you get extremely fatigued, right? Like I would spend just about every single weekend, I would do one or two days there. And sometimes I would go up to like three times a week and I would just do like five consecutive laps at a time and then take a break just to kind of like build that endurance for like being able to maintain, you know, good agility and like strength while going downhill, because it looks like really easy, but then yeah, you're engaging so many muscles. It absolutely does not look easy. And it is that easy. (laughs) And did you say angel bike park? Angel fire. Yeah. Angel fire. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Of course. I know angel fire. What am I talking about? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Brooke just, just lifted up her non-alcoholic beer to try to blame that. <laughs> to live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. So Angel Fire, um, I have not been out there. Mm-hmm. I heard that is an incredible place to ride. Um, I've met a lot of people who've been out there and um, I do know that you did, I, 
Number one, just recently, I saw Angel Fire posted this badass video of you, um, a great commercial. Um, and I guess before we talk about that, because I want to talk a little bit about that and SBT. Um, and tell us about how the inspo for that. And I think you really have to go in a little bit more detail about your story. Um, so tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in, in so many ways, Angel Fire is like very critical to this, this particular piece. So um, for those that don't know, I am an adaptive athlete or a para-athlete. Um, I'm a full-time wheelchair user. So in July of 2021, I was, you know, riding Angel Fire Bike Park as I normally did on most weekends, um, kind of in between this really hectic race schedule. So 2021, I think I had like 12 or 13 races that I was going to do both mountain and gravel. And so I had completed two or three races, you know, leading up to this, a couple had been canceled due to like wildfires in California. And so I was like, I had a good break kind of in between my next block of races. And so it was like, let's go ham at the park. Let's have a great time. And so I was um, setting out for just a normal day of riding. It was my first lap of the day. I was riding with my, you know, now partner Clayton and a couple friends. Uh, we were about to go down my favorite trail, which was Boulder Dash. It's a blue flow trail, features lots of jumps and berms. And um, all of a sudden I just hit this, this jump in a really weird way, kind of wonky. And I thought to myself, oh, geez, this is really not good. And so I landed that jump. I tried to quell as much speed as I could. Um, I wasn't able to. I hit the next feature, which is a step up. Um, it's about 15 foot step up. And um, yeah, I don't really remember a lot. I just remember flying through the air. The next thing I remember, I was on the ground in the middle of the trail. Um, and I couldn't feel anything down from my chest. So just felt like a big void was, was from my chest down. So I immediately called for help. And, um, you know, the person I was riding with was there and, um, the, the guys were ahead of us and the woman I was riding with was behind me. And I said, look, I, I definitely need some help. I said, I, I, I can't feel my legs. And she was like, well, maybe they're just broken. Like, it's okay. We'll get you some help. And I was like, I, I don't think they're broken. Like I, I can't feel them. Like I'm paralyzed. Um, and so we spent the next like hour or so getting, you know, mountain ops, mountain patrol up there to get me off the mountain. Luckily, everybody was really kind, um, you know, trying to provide as much help as they can. I remember at one point, um, you know, somebody shouted like, you know, don't come down the trail. There's a rider down. And then people were shouting from like up the trail, like, is everything okay? Can you just like get up and move? And I was like, I, I can't get up and move. At, at some point I did kind of like snap a little bit. I was like, look, like I just need everyone to stop talking for a second. Like I am in so much pain and it's definitely the most pain I have ever been in, in my life. There's just pain radiating from my back. Um, I couldn't tell if really anything else was broken. Like I kind of I, you know, ran my tongue over my teeth. I could tell that I had some chipped teeth. Luckily, like none were missing completely, which to me, like seemed like a win. I was like, all right, at least I have all my teeth. <laughs> so we spent the next better part of the day getting me off the mountain to um, Taos where I had a CT scan. Um, still really unclear what was going on, but it didn't seem good at this point. There was so many people around me and medical professionals kind of hustling and bustling. I was like, this is, this is not a good sign. Um, I definitely was like, am I dying or something? Like nobody would really tell me what was going on. I was like, it's gotta be bad if people aren't telling me, you know, like, they're just like, you got it. Like you'll make it. And I'm like, this doesn't seem good. So I, uh, I eventually got airlifted to Albuquerque. Um, and I stayed the night in the hospital in the ICU. Um, I have this story. I always tell people like I <laughs> whipped out my phone while I was still in the ICU, like the first night and tried to take some pictures. Cause I, I had no idea what I looked like. Uh, I, I was just trying to figure out like, why am I here? Like, I know I can't feel, but like, I must be in really bad shape. 
um, and tried to take some pictures using portrait mode on my camera to make myself look better. Um, I still have those pictures. I did not look that good with portrait mode. So it's not always, not always a good thing, but, um, it took about about three days. I went into the surgery the next day. I was told my back was fused because I had broken some vertebrae. Um, and then it took about three days for me to get straight answers. And at this point I was like, you know, something is like really not, not good. I, I was like, I can't feel my legs still. The surgery didn't help me. Like this has got to be a serious issue. And so my doctor came in three days later and, you know, handed me this little packet of information. It said spinal cord injury. And, you know, he said, things are really bad. Like you burst fractured a couple of your, your vertebrae and impacted your spinal cord that's why you can't feel your legs. And he said, there's a very small chance that you'll ever walk at this point. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I, I kind of thought that that was the case because I had been asking medical professionals up until that point, but no one was really willing to give me the information. Everyone was like, oh, just wait till your doctor comes in. He'll be able to tell you. Um, I was really fortunate enough to have just a little bit of information about spinal cord injuries before my accident. So I followed a couple pretty amazing adaptive athletes, um, on Instagram before. So I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. Um, and once I knew I had a spinal cord injury, um, I was like, all right, I've, I've got to figure out what my life is going to look like. And I know it can't be over because, you know, I see Trevor Kennison over here riding an adaptive mountain biking and skiing and living a full life. And so, um, I got in touch with, um, high five foundation pretty quickly, which is an organization that helps, you know, individuals with life altering accidents return to sport. Um, and then I also just really zoned in on the fact that like, I wanted to get back outside and I wanted to get on a bike. So I picked out the bike I wanted. I was like, I want the same bike Trevor Kennison has. And so Anytime people would come and visit me in the ICU or in the hospital after that, I would just show them these videos online. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe not jumping off all the stuff he does, but I was like, I want to be, you know, back on a bike. I want to be outside. And that's my number one goal. Um, and so I stayed at uh, UNMH in Albuquerque for 17 days. It's very long. It seems like it was a lifetime in so many ways when you're just kind of laying there, unable to move your body. At this point, I could really only had access to about 25% of my body. And so I had to have um, nurses and techs help me with pretty much everything, right? Like I could use my upper body so I could brush my teeth and brush my hair and put makeup on and stuff, but I wasn't able to dress myself. I wasn't able to go to the bathroom on my own. I wasn't able to shower. Um, I wasn't able to even able to like turn myself in the bed, like turn around and all of that kind of stuff. So I was highly dependent on people. Um, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go to Craig hospital. So Craig hospital is a neuro rehabilitation center in Inglewood, Colorado, which is, you know, right, right in Denver, essentially. And they are, you know, one of the most premier facilities that deals with spinal cord injuries and traumatic brain injuries they have an amazing recreation therapy department, amazing alumni network, top-notch doctors and, um, and PT and OT. And so I was like, I know I need to get there because that's going to allow me to get to the goal of being able to be on a bike and being able to be outside. Um, so I got, you know, flown out to Craig, which is kind of an interesting thing. It was my second at this point, like kind of, you know, flight I had taken after my injury, um, air ambulances are like private planes, by the way. So it was kind of interesting. You're in this like really amazing private jet, but you're also in a gurney and you're like, wow, this is my first time flying private. <laughs> Not really like how I anticipated this, but I'll take it. Um, and so I got to Craig hospital and that's kind of where everything started to turn around. I, I, I felt so much more confident when I got there, that I would really be able to get back to life and be able to get back on a bike and be able to imagine, you know, what all of these other things were going to be like, um, in so many ways, like I did not think about 
really much about like what my life was going to look like right in the hospital or even at Craig kind of are forced to, but I wasn't really focused on like, you know, what my house was going to look like or, or needing a ramp or a wheelchair. It was just focused on getting on a bike because I knew if I could do that, I, I would be happy. Yeah. Cause you knew you'd be happy. I, I think about the bike and it as being a vehicle for so many things. Um, Annika, you and I have used it as a vehicle um, to bring attention to injustices. Um, we have used it as vehicles to bring awareness and protest with. Um, we have used it as a way to find joy. Um, for me, it's been a way for me to connect with my resilience and joy of my ancestors even. The bike has been such an amazing um, vehicle for me. Um, and to hear you talk about how the bike gave you hope, like that is like next level. Um, and it's amazing what the bike can do. And I know that our listeners go out there and they ride their races maybe, or they go out there and they use it for exercise, but to have these conversations about truly how deep, um, a, a person's connection with cycling and the bike can be. It's always extraordinary to hear this part of your story and how it was never about getting into the house or getting the job or getting like all those other things. It was about how do I get back on my bike? And, and that's really what we were championing around you. When we, I went for Ride for Racial Justice and I, and I, I did want to ask you about that, how, you know, seeing us out there writing for you, writing in your name, um, writing at SBT Gravel. And 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 you can tell everyone now what, what your plans are with SBT Gravel, but telling a little piece of that story because it's just such a beautiful story to me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I applied for the inaugural, you know, Ride for Racial Justice class, essentially. And I was so excited and I mean, really and truly, I can still remember the, you know, the audition tape I did. I was just like, I was like, they're not going to choose me. I was like, there are so many people out there. Like, I'm just a little small speck. Um, and then when I got that email that, that I was accepted, you know, to ride, ride with the Ride for Racial Justice team to Steamboat Gravel, I was like, wow, this is this is remarkable. And I remember like looking at the calendar invite and I saw that, that you Brooke were on there and that Casey Cross was on there. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And there are also so many other people that I hadn't met. Um, and so being able to connect with everybody, you know, over the next like five months before my accident was just incredible. Having access to the training, having access to, um, being able to attend this like elite level event and being supported for it, right? Like 2021 was the first year that I had a bike sponsor too, right? So I, I had just been sponsored by Pearl Zumi. We both were. And so it felt really special to finally have like support to do some of this stuff and kind of help curb some of, you know, the burden um, that cycling kind of takes on you, you know, financial wise, financially. So when, when I was able to, you know, be a part of the ride for racial justice team, it, it felt really special. It felt like we were really making an impact on the industry to be with so many amazing, you know, BIPOC athletes, you know, with the amazing ride for racial justice leadership was just great. So I was going to, you know, do the 37 mile course. Um, we were, you know, before my accident, we had already figured out the house that I was going to stay at and, you know, we're getting kind of all the nitty gritty details and figuring out what I was going to eat and, and what I was going to wear, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, when the accident happened, it was like, it was earth shattering for so many reasons, right? Like one, I, I no longer had the use of my legs. Everything was on pause, but more importantly too, I, I couldn't really connect with the ride for racial justice family, right? Like we developed, you know, this, this, big family over, over all of those months and these personal relationships. And now I wasn't going to be able to meet everybody in Steamboat. Like I wasn't going to be able to be a part of that. And, um, 
I remember getting a package from Amy Charity and team from Steamboat Gravel. And it was a care package because, you know, SVT was going to be streamed live. And so this was cool. I had like a sweatshirt and a hat and socks to wear. And of course, Marcus came by and and brought me some swag too. So I was going to be able to watch the race, you know, from my hospital bed. And actually, um, Alyssa Gonzalez came and visited me that day, you know, while the race was going on. So I had my laptop streaming the race and, you know, just watching for anything, checking Instagram to see where everybody was on the course and watching their stories. And it was, it was definitely hard. I would say that that was like kind of one of the harder days for me in the hospital because there was just so much FOMO because I just wanted to be there with everybody. Right. Like it was never for me about like winning the race. Right. Like that was like, I I don't know. I am competitive, but for me, this race wasn't about winning. It was about showing up and being a part of the community. Um, And then I just got a call while, while Alyssa was visiting me and we were streaming the event, I got a call on my phone and it was Casey and Casey was FaceTiming me as they were crossing the finish line of SBT gravel. And oh my gosh, like, cue the waterworks and emotions. I was just like, this is just, this is a lot. Like this is more than I could have ever asked for. And, and, you know, seeing, you know, the finish line and then um, one of our teammates, Stan made these amazing t-shirts with, you know, team geodesic with, with a quote that I said on the back of it. And everybody was sending me pictures. It was just, I felt, I felt so supported in that moment. And at that point I was like, all right, I got to get to SVT. <laughs> like, I don't care what it's going to take. I need to get there and ride with ride for racial justice and be a part of the event. And, you know, to me, that's like a moment that's like really, really stood out for me. Um, and so thankfully this year, I'm excited. I'm going to get to ride with the ride for racial justice team. (laughs) So, you know, I'm the only person that's come back twice. Right. Um, (laughs) but it's going to be great. I've, I've had a really awesome time getting to meet, you know, all of the new folks, you know, and still hang out with Marcus, Alicia, Neil, and Moss. And then, um, also had some connection with Greer SVT, you know, trying to figure out what does it look like for a para athlete to be competing in this event? And um, I just feel like extremely well supported in this. So I'm excited. I finally get to do a gravel race and I finally get to show up at Steamboat and I finally get to like see what the spirit of gravel is at these events that I keep hearing about. Cause it's like, you know, it, it just gravel is infectious, right. And the community is, so I'm excited to like be a part of that this year. Wow. Wow. That story, it's amazing. Like that's, it's just like, that's the community all over the place, right? Like yeah, people just come in, like bring you into your lowest. I don't even know how to say it. I'm like about to cry again. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you over there, Catherine. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm about to go. Okay. I was looking at your Instagram and I, mm-hmm. I want you to tell us about your chair. Uh, because I haven't seen, well, I used to work some with uh, paratriathletes in Atlanta. And so obviously skinny tires, different kind of chair. So I want to hear more about this chair because it looks pretty rad. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I currently ride a bowhead reach. Um, it's a three wheeled mountain bike. Um, it's got two wheels in the front with suspension and one big wheel in the back. It's got full articulation and lean. So it's able to like really traverse like off camber or hit technical um, climbing or descending or just kind of like deal with different bumps on the road. Um, The version of bike that I have is full. It's all throttle. So there's no like um, hand crank input. Um, And then my legs are kind of like sitting out in front of me. So it's a recumbent style and it's got like you know, this kind of strap that goes around my waist, um, and it's got a battery. And so that's the bike I have right now. And then I'll be getting their hand crate version, which is called the Bowhead RX. And that will be sort of like my gravel race rig. And then, um, also cross country rig too. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Is that the same bike you'll be riding at SBT? Which bike are you riding at SBT? Do you know yet? Yeah. So I'll be riding the hand crank version, the Bowhead RX. Yeah. So I've been like, I started training officially, I guess, two weeks ago. 
for SVT. So yeah, because I got to get into shape for that. <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah, because I've done that. I'm thinking about the some of those hills, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the the RX will have um, some e assist too. So I do have a road bike that is completely manual, no e assist, and it's awesome, right on flat. But at the slightest bit of incline, I'm like, ooh, I'm like, I need to take a little bit of a break. Like it's <laughs> it's it's challenging, right? Like because you are pushing your whole body weight plus the weight of the bike. Um, so this particular bike, the RX, does have um, e assist to with it. So that'll be able to like help me get some up some of those grinding hills and and maintain yeah. some like some sanity and some energy. <laughs> so. <laughs> We just did at my gym that I do a CrossFit gym and that all the trainers are certified with adaptive athletes. They've worked, they're ex-military. They've worked a lot with wounded warriors. So they did like an adaptive class so that we worked out as an adaptive athlete. And I was like, oh, I've coached like adaptive athletes, like back from triathlon, like, you know, kind of like going into it, going, I understand this. And then when I was the one doing the workout and one thing, they just had to sit on a box. So you had to do like wall balls. And understanding, like when you don't have the use of your legs, you don't have the use of your core. <laughs> and I was like, this is such a light ball. It's going to be so easy. I was dead. <laughs> so I was, and like, you realize, you don't realize until you're in that position, you know, and obviously I can never be in the position you're in. Right. But when you put yourself in a position where you realize how much harder it is and how much more it takes to get to a start line, it's just, I'm so impressed. That, yeah. that, that, that was your first thought too. Like, right. That the bike was so important to you that you were like, I have to be there and it's going to be infinitely harder than it was before. But like, I don't know, that just says so much about your character um, and who you are. Yeah, it is. It, it's been, I mean, in a lot of ways, like adaptive sports and adaptive mountain biking, it's just been the most important part of my recovery, right? Like even to this day, right? I'm a year, so I'm a year and a half out from my accident and it still is the most important thing to me, right? Like all of my plans revolve around being outdoors, you know, going on outdoor adventures. And it was like that before too, right? But now it's just like, it's even more important because like you're talking about, it's like, there are so many more barriers and there are so many more challenges I face. And for me, it's like even more important for me to be out there. It's even more healing than it was previously. Yeah. Um, Catherine, before you close this out or anything, I do have, I, I'm not uh, just, I'm like enjoying okay. this conversation. I know I said 35 minutes, but I always go over. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. good. I, I, I do have a question that I've been asking this month. This month is um, the month of February. And February here is known as Black History Month. And Black History Month is a month that everyone, all of us, Black, white, brown, whatever, um, learn, celebrate, acknowledge uh, the Black excellence and history. Um, and in honor of that, I've, I've been, I mean, audience, you've probably known a trend. We've, we've had... <laughs> Several, we've been uplifting the voices of, of Black women, um, and I'm so grateful that we get this month to do it, and I'm so grateful that uh, this podcast does that throughout the year, but this year, uh, really focusing on that, and I want to know if you have anything for our audience um, in light of the fact that this is Black History Month. Maybe uh, someone who's inspired you, maybe a message, maybe um, some fact, um, just asking all of the guests to share something with us for Black History Month. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think for me, it's really, you know, Black History Month is a good moment of reflection, right? And, and a good time to really listen if you haven't been listening to the community. And so I always encourage people to really like find out what people are doing, right. To, to uplift voices or find out what bits of advocacy people are doing and find ways to support people too. Right. I think that that's really important. Um, now for me as you know, now a, a disabled black athlete or black disabled athlete, I'm finding that there's like even more need, right. To really, bring attention and draw attention to, you know, black, um, athletes, 
um, people that are recreating outdoors. I mean, anybody that, that is outside, you know, is an athlete and anybody that is outside, you know, belongs to be outside, but really finding ways to connect with individuals, I think is really important. And so even as a black person, like I am always looking to see what are other black people doing in the outdoors? Like what are other black disabled people doing in the outdoors? Like what can I do to support you too? Because it takes so much for us to be here, right? There are so many things, just like I was saying with my disability, there's so many things that are that are barriers or that just make it more challenging for us to be present or to recreate or even access to equipment or even feeling like a sense of belonging. And so when you do see people doing things that you like to do, um, connect with them in an, an organic way, find out what they're up to and see how you can support them. It doesn't always have to be like this formal arrangement, right? Um, uh, just, you know, have black friends and support them. Get a black friend. Yeah. Yeah. And, or for some people, yeah, get a black friend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did want to ask about that. That's, and that's such a great question. I love you're asking that every week, Brooke, but I did want to ask also, like if people see adaptive athletes, see you at a race, like what are ways to support you or come alongside you or, you know, just, yeah, be your ally there. Because I think we're going to see it more and more in gravel, right? Like now we're figuring out like how to ride courses off-road, what kind of bikes work. And so hopefully we're just going to see more and more adaptive athletes at events. And um, we want to be allies when when we see, when we see you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think, you know, it's going to, every individual is going to like maybe require something different, right? Like I always say, like what's accessible to me might not be accessible to somebody else. Like even what's accessible to somebody that has the same exact injury as me might not be accessible to somebody else with the same exact injury or the same disability. And so, yeah, just like really getting in tune with um, the people that are there. So, you know, if you do see somebody, you know, recreating on a different piece of equipment, you know, you show up to the, you know, a gravel race and you're like, whoa, what is that? Like, you know, you could ask the person just be like, Hey, that's a really cool way. Can you tell me about it? And, you know, just start to ask questions, familiarize yourself with like the types of equipment that are out there. And then also how you can support an individual too. Um, and always ask somebody too, right? Like, if you see me like struggling up a hill and pushing on my wheelchair, like just ask if I need any help or don't, right? Like, don't just go up and like start pushing me. <laughs> um, yeah, just ask for consent around that. Um, but I, I do always appreciate when I see people um, outside when I'm riding my bike, when people are like, well, that's really cool. Can you tell me a little bit about it? And I'll usually launch into a spiel about how, you know, I'm a disabled athlete and this is the equipment I use to recreate outdoors. Um, um, and then also some people may need help on the trail too, right? So like thinking about people that are non-ambulatory in particular, like myself, so people that aren't able to walk. Um, or maybe aren't able to walk long distances, uh, we face some different challenges on, on a bike. So for instance, like if I get a flat tire, like that's kind of a really rough situation, right? Like it's a rough situation for anybody, right? Like, let's be real. Like you got to change your tire, but thinking out like, how am I going to get out of the bike? And then maybe if I only have access to, you know, maybe 50% of my body, what does that look like? It might take me a little bit longer. And so you know, just as you ask kind of like your able-bodied friends and riders as you're passing them, hey, do you need any help? You can ask somebody that's also an adaptive athlete. Um, but, you know, like thinking about like how you're going to say that, right? Like, because you don't want somebody to feel like, oh, what do they think I'm not capable or I'm not able? Like, you could just be like, hey, like, do you need any help changing your tire? I'm just like asking and, you know, and being really friendly about it, I think would help. Um, so, yeah, we're hopefully going to see a lot more para-athletes and adaptive athletes at gravel events. And I'm, I'm really excited for this. I think there's going to be like a collective um, learning curve that we're all going to go through, right? Like I'm understanding, like, what does that look like? Do, do we need to think about um, accessible bathrooms, accessible podiums, accessible parking for it? There's so many different things, right? And so I think over the next few years, we're going to be able to see um, a lot more inclusion and a lot more thought around this. And 
Um, I did want to just like plug SBT about this because I think SBT Gravel is doing a really fabulous job at connecting with the para community and finding out the needs of the para community and working with individuals around what access looks like. Yeah, they, they, I was like, am I muted? No, they absolutely are. They have definitely been a leader in that. And I'm just, I was just, as you were talking, thinking like being really aware when course conditions change, Brooke, you raced unbound last year. The course was one way, massive rainstorm. The course was completely different, you know, right. 10 minutes later. And so, um, and that doesn't affect road. Like if you're racing on the road, that doesn't affect it right. as much as when you're off-road and it completely changes what somebody's riding on. So yeah, and things like that made me think of. That's a good point. I mean, I rode the White Room Trail this summer, part of it, and we had just experienced a hundred year flood on the trail, like just a few days before I rode it. And so we were unsure what the trail conditions are going to be like. You know, I have a three wheeled bike. I'm non-ambulatory. My bike also weighs like over a hundred pounds too. And so like we encountered some mud and the bike just like started to sink into the mud. And at that point I was stuck. Like there was nothing I could do. Um, And I had to get some help getting out of the mud. And actually, fun story, Leah Wilcox took her shoes off to get me out of the mud. Took her bike shoes. Well, no, I think she got her bike shoes wet. That's what it was. Got her bike shoes wet, you know, at the beginning of this, like, 100-mile ride to, like, help push my bike out of the mud. So, yeah, thinking about things like that, like, conditions change. Maybe somebody uses uh, a prosthetic and... um, sometimes for prosthetics, it is a little bit harder and like hike a bike, like you can hike a bike, right? Like depending on, you know, um, what type of amputation you have, what type of prosthetic you have getting off the bike in some of these situations, like muddy conditions could like maybe be really challenging. And so just like kind of looking out for that for people. And especially like me, like I would be stuck. One of the things that we do in like adaptive mountain biking too, for downhill races is we have tail gunners And so that's a person that rides behind you that is essentially like kind of like they don't mess with you or not even interacting with you. But it's like for those in case situations, like like if I get stuck or I bang into a tree and like or I fall over. Um, So that's something like that may be explored in the future is like, how do we support para athletes? So it doesn't put like an additional strain on the other people that are racing. Right. Like I know everybody would be happy to help you know, help me, but I also don't want to take away from that. So maybe thinking about like neutral ways to support para athletes will be something that will pop up Mm -hmm. soon. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great thoughts. Yeah. Well, how can people follow your adventures and your journey and where do we find you? Yeah. The best place to find me is probably on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok too. Um, my handles for those are at geodesic dome. So G E O D E S I C D O M E. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes so folks yeah. can find it. Brooke, you got anything to close us out? Um, just, I think people who follow Annika and follow me know um, the amount of love that I have for Annika and I, I've always have. Um, We've just kind of been in the thick of it together um, from the beginning. And um, and I'm just so excited that I got this opportunity to kind of uplift your story and let people in all disciplines of cycling be able to hear your story. And um, I'm really, really excited to ride SBT with you. And um, it was supposed to happen. And... Um, it was sad that it didn't. And boy, does my joy, my heart rejoice that this year we will be at Steamboat Gravel together and riding. So, and that's because you're an amazing person. Oh, thank you, Brooke. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for Steamboat and yeah, super thankful. We're, we're friends and we've been on this journey and you know, it's, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good year. I'm excited for this season. I always joke now that like winter is, you know, mountain bike and gravel bike planning season. So like, that's where we are. And 
just getting ready for all of the events to kick off. And I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.